Hello everyone, my name is Ravi Kumar, President at Infosys. Welcome to the next version of Trailblazers. Trailblazers, as most of you know, is about individuals who are making significant impact, driving change. They are actually working for industries where they make an impact, as well as the communities they live in. Today I have a very distinguished guest with me, Tom Danahou. Tom is the CEO and President of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce represents three million businesses, the world's largest business federation, across sectors, across regions, in states where they have chambers and other industry associations. Tom has been associated with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce as a president and CEO for since 1997. And he's kind of pioneered the, the impact the U.S. Chamber of Commerce has made and the powerhouse it is. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce today influences policy, business reforms, being the voice of the businesses, and actually creating significant impact on growth for the nation. Thank you, Tom, for being here. And thanks to, uh, thanks to you for taking time to actually talk to us in our New York office. Uh, we have a nice, uh, nice uh, landscape behind us, the beautiful Manhattan, uh, Manhattan skyline. Thank you, thank you again for being here. I actually uh, was very inspired talking to you in Washington, D.C. a couple of weeks ago about the impact the Chamber of Commerce is making, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is making on your leadership. Tell us a little bit about the milestones in the journey in, in the last uh, two, two decades or so uh, and uh, how, how you've kind of made this that powerhouse, the impact powerhouse, I call it, for the, for the U.S. Well, thanks, Ravi. I, I'm very pleased to be here uh, and what a setting. Uh, and I was born in New York in the early in the last century, and um, uh, went to school here. And I'm I'm here very often, and I'm I, I really am impressed with what you're doing here in the city, and how you're going about uh, fundamentally changing on, on your own responsibility uh, the way that people will be going forward, building teams and taking on challenging assignments and making them work. Uh, what we did at the chamber, uh, I had worked at the chamber years before and then went away to uh, run the American Trucking Association. Yep. And I went back to the chamber when its president retired. Uh, they were in some difficulty. You know, in your own experience with companies, they have ups and downs and they were not doing as well as they wanted, and they were thoughtful enough to ask me to come back and, and uh, turn it around a little. Um, I have some simple theories about that. First of all, individuals don't accomplish a great deal. They may lead others, but the first thing you need is real talent. And I brought a few people with me. And uh, shortly after we got there, we began to attract some other talent. Now, as you know, talent's expensive. So at the same time, we and were- in short supply as well. Oh, well, it wasn't as, as much short supply then. 22 years ago, yeah. but are you right today? And so we hired some very good people. And uh, you put them in charge of what you need to achieve and uh, let them do it. Uh, so what do we say? Well, first of all, we needed more members. 
and we needed more resources. Well, you can't just go ask for those things unless you're going to do something for the people that are going to give you the resources. So we set up some very clear programs that people from any industry want. They want to be represented in the Congress. They want to affect tax policy. They want to affect what's uh, going on uh, on Capitol Hill. They want to have people that can work on the White House and the regulatory agencies and to make a short list of what everybody could agree with and to go about fixing it. Exactly what we did. Smart people, enough resources, clear agenda, and we did that for, you know, about four or five years. And then we came to a, not a bump in the road, but a great opportunity. Time to get stronger, time to spread out, time to provide other services. And we had taken the chamber and we had flattened it all out. We had an international division, we had a, a domestic lobbying division, we had a division for energy, we had a division to, for the protection of intellectual property. We had a division uh, for working on doing infrastructure. We had about seven or eight clear... country chapters as well. Oh, well, we'll get to them in a minute. But we, in each one of those divisions, we put somebody in charge. If there isn't anybody in charge, nothing ever happens. And, and we gave them their own little... Uh, boards of directors of those divisions, members of the business community. And we told them to go raise resources and set agendas and lead the way. Uh, you know, I have a theory. Uh, I have a theory if you, uh, if you uh, had 10 people watch a young child in a pool that couldn't swim very well, chances are the child's going to drown. But if you had one person Watch 10 children in the swimming pool, nobody drowns. Somebody has to be in charge. And that's what we've done. We've attracted the people. We continue to expand our agenda, to increase our revenues, to develop a reputation that we're going to get the job done. And that the Congress and the White House and others um, uh, respected us for what we're doing which means that they didn't want to fight with us. When we got involved in politics, not the president, but in the House and the Senate, and we brought all our members to participate in that issue, people listened to us more clearly. So Tom, how do you deal with conflicts between business and governments on policy and reforms? Do you have some basic principles which you kind of set when you do this? I'm sure you're finding that every day in your job. Well, I, you know, the issue is what we do is exactly what you asked. We, first of all, we represent every kind of industry in the country. So on some things, everybody's committed. On reasonable tax reform, on sensible, sensible energy policy, on, on uh, a reduction in in regulation that's not needed and keeping regulation that helps the economy function. Um, uh, and we operate all over the world. Uh, today we have 85 people in Washington working on international things. We have 
We have 117 American chambers around the world. We run 16 of the biggest bilateral and multilateral uh, trading operations. Uh, and, and for example, we do the India-US India Business yep. Council. I've, I've interacted with them. Yeah. And so what, what you do, best people, clear agenda, simple message, adequate resources and go do it. It's, you know, a lot like your, your, your business. A lot like a lot of businesses of companies that you've been involved in and I've been involved in. You got a product, you have to package it, you need to get the right people to sell it, you need the money to develop it and to promote it. That's, we came to the chamber and ran it like a world-class company. That's so well said, that's so well said. So Tom, you know, uh, I was very fascinated about our new partnership with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on the Technology Engagement Center. Uh, very unique. Actually, I've not seen many chambers have, have that. Uh, many business associations have that. Uh, it's a very unique thought. We're taking it to 10 cities. Uh, we're evangelizing technology policy. What was, what was the impact you were looking for when you actually set this up? And what are the outcomes you're looking for? We're very excited about the partnership. Well, we're very excited about the partnership. Uh, you know, we didn't have this uh, operation 10 years ago. We didn't have it, <clears throat> probably started on it five years ago. Because every company is becoming a technology company. Every community will become a technology community. And so we needed to have in the chamber itself a capacity to understand the demands and needs of the industry than the demands and needs of the people using the products the industry produces. And we needed to develop a capacity to represent those industries at the Congress, in the White House, in the regulatory agencies around the world with the press. Now, what do we want to do <clears throat> with going around the country? You've already been to Indiana, and you were in Orlando, I guess, this week. Yep. <clears throat> and they're all different. And we want to go into those cities and highlight their unique characteristics. You go to Indiana, uh, a great place. I've, uh, I have great friends there, and they have done marvelous, marvelous things. They've expanded the manufacturing capacity. They've attracted unbelievable people to come to work in the universities, in the government, in the companies. And they have a, a Midwestern mid sort of work ethic, and they're going to get it done. And so we want to highlight what their great strengths are, which uh, helps uh, people develop more technology, encourages technology companies to come to, to uh, Indiana, encourages them uh, to participate in the education programs and uh, hire people and run businesses. Then you went to Orlando. It's not the same as Indiana. It's way down south. It's, it doesn't get as cold in the winter. Uh, but they're the center of tourism. All the Disneyland stuff, they're the center. And when you talk about tourism 
and Disneyland and all of that sort of thing, what you're talking about is technology. It's another, it's entertainment technology, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, mobility technology, it's transportation technology, and it's, it's the technology of movies and sound and enjoyment. It's a totally different deal. And that's another set of stories about technology, the kind of workers we want, the kind of uh, encouragement we want to provide to young people. There is a place for you. Find what your passion is yep. and pursue it. That's why you're doing so well and, uh, and, and, and being a, a strong advocate of trying to get people that are going to community colleges, two-year colleges, to get the kind of skills they need to go, get good jobs because the demand is unbelievable and yep. to continue their education. Absolutely, Tom, you're so spot on. You know, technology in many ways takes away jobs of the past and creates much more for the future. And in fact, what you, what you rightly pointed out, technology is so associated with the Silicon Valley, but if you look at the six centers Infosys established, we established in places very unusual, Indiana, uh, Phoenix, uh, Hartford, Rhode Island, uh, Texas, and we think there is a ton of talent available there as long as we can actually bring them, bring them to a fold, put a training, a finishing school kind of a training program and put them onto, onto, onto work. So you're so, so, so accurately, you so accurately, uh, you know, set this up in terms of the technology uh, engagement centers as we call it and the 10 cities I'm sure is going to make a huge impact. Uh, just teeing up on the next question, which you, which you kind of alluded to, uh, Infosys has worked significantly in the last two years in building almost nine and a half thousand local talent pools from from these hubs which we have created, and uh, we've kind of demystified the uh, the entire um, uh, notion that STEM education is needed for uh, the future digital jobs. Uh, we've hired from liberal arts schools, we've hired from design schools, we've actually hired from community colleges, and we're going to scale that experiment up. And one of the things I've noticed from this, from the journey in the last two years is governments, academia, and institutions, and, and uh, associations and federations like yours, if we can come together, uh, the, the, the biggest challenge today, which is workforce needs in the, in the digital age, can easily be bridged. Do you see a role for governments and, 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 and industry federations like yours to play in this ecosystem? Yes, of course. Um, partnerships are the quickest way to success. If you're moving alone without taking advantage of all of the, the skills and resources that are just around you, you're making a mistake. Yeah. Um, the, the, what you're talking about in each of those 10 cities, um, you need technology, but you need to look at what the nature and the, the character of the cities are. You wouldn't want to go out and start developing farming technology for Orlando. You want to go to Orlando with all the things we just Media talked about. Media and entertainment and, yeah. And I, and you and I remember when we first yep. met, we agreed, and I jumped out of the chair almost when you told me how you were hiring people from I'm these locations. Yeah. We need STEM educated people, but we need people to support all of that work and you're taking it 
from where people are, what their experience yeah. is, and you're drawing out that experience. That's when we talked about, and I, you know, at first I said, what? When you said what we're doing is hiring liberal arts educated people to come in and help us do that. Why not? They've Absolutely. studied history. Yeah. They've studied government. They've studied languages. They've studied cultures. They've yeah. studied mathematics. They've studied languages. These things are the connectivity to your basic customers. You see, when people think we're training all these people for technology companies, that's true. But most of those technology companies are your customers. Absolutely. And they weren't technology companies before they became your customers. I am with you, absolutely. In fact, uh, you know, deep programming is needed on one side of the spectrum in technology, but applying technology to businesses needs a much broader breadth of capabilities, including liberal arts and design. And, and in fact, we are hiring in plenty of, plenty of them in, in those spaces, and we're finding, finding that experience of going through uh, the, the process very, very exciting for us. You know where we learned a lot about all of this, and Tim will tell you, we have a group in, in the chamber that worries about protecting the intellectual property of companies and industries. The, the hard-earned intellectual property. And you know, people think of us doing things one industry at a time, not on this project. We have people that make software. We have people that make movies. We have people and in industries that make music. We have people that make pharmaceuticals. We have people that play football. They want to protect the NFL. We have people that do every industry in this country that want their intellectual property protected. That is a technology challenge. And their property they want to protect is technology in its own. So we, as a result, are able to form a, uh, a strong group of industries from every part of the industrial spectrum and the creativity spectrum that have come together to protect their common interest. And that is the, the technology they've developed, the innovation they've developed, the entertaining they've developed, and, and they have gotten 10 times stronger and 100 times stronger because of doing it together than if we tried to do it one industry at a time. Absolutely. So Tom, I had one last question for you. Um, you know, while tech companies are, are creating this huge economic activity, lots of jobs, but there is still a trust deficit. And it's actually getting, the, the divide is actually getting more and more with tech. The societies are getting much more divided. Um, how much do you think is this trust deficit and how do you think we could overcome it? And is there a role a business federation can play? Well, the last question is, hell yes. <laughs> <clears throat> but how we get this way? I think three or four things. First of all, tech was, as we now know it, we've always had innovations. I mean, people invented the railroads, people invented the airplane, people invented space uh, uh, shuttles. So technology we've always had. 
but we were developing technology in a totally different way, which was to change the lives, the working circumstances, and the businesses of our society. Well, now, first of all, that's scary. And second of all, it's exciting. And third of all, it's very complicated. So at one point, some of the technology companies start to th think of themselves as government, think of themselves as what was all about, that technology was all about. No, what technology was all about, when you really think it, is about what were they developing, what were they producing and manufacturing that was going to serve all of American industry and all families. And we're beginning to see it, beginning to see it everywhere. But uh, then we got into four or five problems. We got into the privacy issue on data. We got into the, uh, the, the dealing with like governments, state and local governments, like they didn't know anything. Maybe they didn't know anything, but they had a lot of power over companies. And then getting in and not dealing with the press in a way that uh, explained why all the changes were going on in their industry, whether it was television or music, or and the, and there was press for all of this, or, or whether it was what was going on in their communities. It, unknown, major change creates fear. Fear creates frustration and anger. And we've gone through some of that. Would empathy and inclusiveness uh kind of alleviates that divide, uh, you think? It's alleviate. It'll change it a lot. We're now, we're looking at these things in a totally different way than we did. Yep. We're, we're bringing just the way you're hiring people. Those are the kind of people that are going to work this out. I mean, the guy or the gal that works and all they see themselves are our inventors, but don't have relationships and don't do integration of these projects and skills and machines into the school system, into the local community, into the businesses in a way that makes people feel comfortable, that shows all the jobs that are going to be created, all the opportunities that are going to be for families and, and individuals. Um, look, when you're in a hurry and you think you're smarter than everybody else, Sometimes you make a few mistakes. But the fundamental thing is we have to say, technology has earned its stripes by doing things that make it possible for us to save lives, uh, bring great efficiency to our businesses, yep. improve communication and relationship between people all over the world, on and on and on. So what do we have to do? We have to protect the technology companies from two issues, from all the conflicts they get into as they're growing and expanding into other areas, and we have to protect them from themselves and help them see how they make a few changes and get engaged in communities in the way that it's a relationship between the technology and the producers of it and the users and the people that need it. And we are, we're doing that today. A part of this thing going around to 10 cities, that's part of what we're doing. We're saying, look, this is really positive. Here are the benefits to your society. Here's how you get on the boat. Start rowing. This is really important. 
and the chamber has no choice but to be a major player in this because those are going to be all of our members of the future. Yep. Thank you so much, Tom. That was so inspiring. And every time I speak to you, I actually learn a lot. Thank you again for talking to us. Thanks for the partnership. And thanks for all the inspiring work you do for, for the U.S. Chamber. And, uh, and you've been uh, relentlessly executing on your mission. Thank you again. Well, thank you. And we look forward to you coming back again soon. Sure. And, uh, and you and I are going to continue this conversation Absolutely. about yeah. all of this, but using liberal arts people. I'm, I'm going to get a few liberal arts people to meet up with you the next time you're here. I'm anxious to do that. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. so much. Thanks, Thanks so very much. much. Thank, Thank you. you.